This is episode 72 of Cinescope, and how can you not be romantic about baseball? Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Seth O'Neill to talk about one of our favorite films, Moneyball. Seth, how are you doing tonight? Doing awesome. Glad to hear. Um, This was sort of a last minute decision, but... This was on my short list of films to talk about, and uh, when you saw it on my short list, you said, hey, Moneyball, let's do that. And I said, sure, let's do that, because I've been wanting to uh, talk about, and more importantly, rewatch this movie for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that I... It's not one that I watch frequently. Like It's not like whenever I'm looking at my movies that I have, that's one that pops out, but it's one that I do thoroughly enjoy watching just because of how intricate it is and how we'll talk about later, but just how much of a good quality film it is, especially if you are a fan of baseball. For sure. Uh, Before we do get started, though, how about you reintroduce yourself to everybody who may be listening for the first time? Yeah, of course. Uh, So my name is Seth O'Neill. I am, me and Chad are long time, long time best friends uh, since middle school, uh, and we've grown up together ever since. Uh, we are planning to be roommates uh, in the near future, so that means uh, that I'll be probably on more episodes as well. Uh, but right now, I'm a teacher at Grand Prairie, and uh, I teach middle school math, and yeah, um, that's about it. Yeah, we are planning on moving in together. You're mo- you're moving into me in June or so. And so, yeah, we, we've started talking about some potential things coming maybe soon-ish to Cinescope, and you'll be in the know as soon as that happens. Uh, but yeah, you might be hearing a little bit more of Seth pretty soon. Woo-woo. <laughs> Before, oh, uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. So we are talking about Moneyball. It was released on September 23rd of 2011. It was directed by Bennett Miller, who also directed the films The Cruise, Capote, and Foxcatcher. It was written by Stephen Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, and it was based on the book Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game by Michael Lewis. The music is composed by Michael Dana, who also composes scores for Capote, Little Miss Sunshine, Surf's Up, 500 Days of Summer, and Life of Pi, as well as several scores with his brother Jeff Dana, including The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, The Good Dinosaur, Storks, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, and The Breadwinner. The movie stars Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, Philip Seymour Hoffman, as well as small roles by Chris Pratt, Stephen Bishop, and Robin Wright. So we've already talked just vaguely about it, but what was your first experience with this film that you remember? Uh, I was trying to think back of uh, when it first came out, What if I saw it in the movie theater. I want to say I did. I think I saw it with my brother. Uh, But again, I'm not... 100% 100% sure this because this what this film was one against kind of low-key not, nothing flashy about it so I can't really picture myself in the theater with it or what my game plan was but uh yeah I mean I, I think I saw it in the film, uh, movie theater with my brother and I think the ma- main thing that attracted me was because it's a sports film had it had a kind of different twist to it that you wouldn't really see from a sports film so I was interested in seeing what it was about yeah, I don't remember knowing really anything about this movie before I saw it. Uh, at the time, this was our sophomore year of college, and I think, I'm pretty sure at least, I saw it with our friend Johnny, because at the time he was working at the movie theater, and so he'd occasionally get us tickets to see movies for free. And so this was one that I think we wanted to go see a movie together, and it might have been getting good reviews or something at the time. And so I said, hey, this is vaguely about baseball. Let's go watch this movie. Let's go watch Moneyball. And it really was sort of a surprise because it's, it's not a traditional baseball film. This isn't field of dreams. This isn't the Sandlot or rookie of the year. This, this is a baseball movie. That's largely not really about baseball. And I like that unique twist on it, but at the same time, it still pulls on my baseball heartstrings. Um, like our opening quote, how can you not be romantic about baseball? And I think even though this doesn't focus on the sport itself, it does a really good job of bringing out those emotions despite that. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think that what the thing about that cover, it, I mean, the whole, obviously the whole movie revolves around baseball, but it revolves around kind of the background stuff that not many people see in baseball. It revolves around kind of what the manager has to deal with, all the pressures, all the intricacies that they deal with that as a baseball fan, if you're just there to kind of see the players, you don't really picture what's behind the scenes. You just kind of picture, I'm, I love baseball, let's watch baseball, hopefully we win type uh, mindset of a fan. But you don't think about just the small details and the pressure that comes behind the scenes that managers have to deal with every single day. Right. And, you know, I, I hadn't seen this movie since probably I first got it on Blu-ray back in 2012 or so. And so I remembered it to be a great film. At least I thought it was. And uh, rather than knowing it was a good film because I'd watched it recently. And so, like I said, I was really excited to uh, rewatch. And I think it holds up just as well. Obviously, it's not a super old film, but I enjoyed it as much today as I ever have. Uh, so talking about just the movie, as you were saying, this does focus on more of the managerial side of the sport and just this premise of sort of pitting spending budgets against each other rather than like teams of players against each other. It, it's it's so different. It's fascinating. And it's a way to approach baseball that makes sense, but that I would have complained about, but never would have thought of. Does that make sense? You know, like both of us are from Dallas. We're Rangers fans. And we have seen player after player sort of poached by the Yankees, just like the Oakland A's had in this film. And so we understand the rich teams get the players, but I never would have thought to sort of turn that on its head and instead think statistically rather than trying to spend as much as we can on one good player and then sort of slim pickings on the others yeah and it's and that's what's why what i like about the opening scene is how whenever they show the first game that's the playoff game where uh, it's oakland versus the yankees instead of just saying oakland versus or the oakland athletics versus new york yankees they say 114 million versus 38 million mm -hmm. and they kind of because that, that's really the focus the thing about baseball it's so different than any other sport is because they don't have a cap space uh, like other sports do where they have all the teams have an equal amount of money they can spend. Uh, baseball is a sport where based off your area of how baseball is treated, how much money you get from all your fans and your fan base uh, depends on how much you can spend on everything. So obviously like the high market areas like New York uh, and there's obviously there's like the nationals and currently in San Francisco and all that stuff. Like since I'm a big baseball fan, I kind of know the big markets uh, but like New York has probably the biggest budget and that's mm -hmm. what makes them such a, I think one of the most hated teams because they basically just buy off all the good players and they just hope that that bring all the best players of the league will make their team the best, which it works sometimes. It doesn't work all the time. Right. But uh, it's just interesting just to see that the opening scene was focused on, focused on the money, mm -hmm. which, which obviously is like kind of that starting point of how baseball has always been focused on the money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, taking away the focus from the sport itself, I think, removes one of the barriers from a lot of sports films. Like, I'm not a big, I'm not the biggest football fan. And so I don't actively seek out football movies. I think I've seen Remember the Titans once and it was because we watched it on a band bus. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to revisit that movie and talk about it sometime. But it's just not a genre that I'm hugely a fan of. And Likewise, there are lots of people who aren't baseball fans who might think it's a boring sport who are going to be drawn into this kind of movie because it's not about the sport. It's about the people behind it. And the there's a lot of comedy in this movie that I think also caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, Brad Pitt is really funny. Jonah Hill is really funny. There are lots of very hysterical moments, especially in the first half of this movie. And so I think taking away that barrier just opens up the film for more types of film fans so you don't have to be focused purely on baseball yeah for sure yeah and, and it's because i think because it's following that managerial pathway again it's not focused on just the sport itself it's focused on a different story about how the people behind the scenes can change the sport even though this is a smaller budget sports film and it's like the budget itself was only $50 million, which is about, I think it's ironic because that's basically what Billy Bean had to work with to form the Oakland A's. And I kind of wonder if that was intentional. Probably wasn't, but it's a fun coincidence. Oh, for sure. And uh, despite that, there's some really cool visual moments. There's the beginning during that opening championship game when 
Billy is sitting alone in the empty stadium in the darkness with the radio and he clicks it on, listens for a few seconds, clicks it off. And a few times he does that. And I, I think that's, that's a really striking visual of this guy who's so caught up in the sport and obviously it's his career, but he doesn't spend the time around people with the game. He's secluded alone in this giant stadium. It's a really cool thing to picture. And then later we have stuff like in the A's stadium, the banners of the three departed players slowly falling one by one to the ground. And even, even when the whole concept of the, the statistics is introduced by Peter and he's talking through it with Billy, we're, we've got close up visuals on the computer screens and on pages and pages of statistics and it means nothing and i think that sort of helps to emphasize that the stats themselves don't matter it's just a foreign concept we like they're not showing us those stats for us to take something away from it like oh this this person had a 354 batting average or something insane like that it's just saying Look at all these numbers. This is so new to baseball, and that's what they're bringing to the table. So I like those visual moments, even though it's not a quote visual film. Oh yeah, and I mean it's the all those all the flashes of all the numbers and everything like you said, just kind of to to show us all the stuff they look at. But again, not for us to memorize all the numbers. Like the numbers are there, but really the focus is just us to understand what is all going through their their. Uh, I would say studying, but their uh, research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even just how complex this whole concept, this whole uh, approach to forming a baseball team really is. Yeah, because like, cause the thing is, like, if you look at how they were scouting them before, like the, fir- the first scene, uh, probably one of the funny scenes is the fir- like when they're in the scouting rooms. Mm-hmm. Because those, like the old guys that are in the scouting rooms, they're just kind of sitting there talking about, oh, he has a clean swing. Oh, he has, <laughs> when, it, when he hits that ball, he just, wow, that sounded that bat. <laughs> and then Billy's just like sitting there, just, what is, like, what is this conversation? Like, are you kidding me? Like, we're trying to build a baseball team. You guys are talking about when he hits a ball. Mm-hmm. Or, right. or their girlfriends in some circumstances. Oh, yeah. right? His girlfriend's a six. Yeah, he's <laughs> just like, uh, that means if he, has, if he has an ugly girlfriend, then he has low confidence, low, low self-esteem. Like, there's like talking about random things about baseball players that don't really define how to build a team. And mm-hmm. it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but all the statistical stuff aside, all of the people stuff aside, I just love how this movie makes me, or it highlights what I still love about baseball. It's exciting. There's tension. There's heartbreak. There's all of those moments highlighted. And we see like two minutes worth of actual baseball. It's just so cool how they're able to take that approach and still make me feel baseball feelings. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, no other movie, not not to my like throughout my mind, no other movie can, is a sports movie that only shows that little of the actual sport and actually is good in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like the way that they were able to connect it and still be able to relate and show the sport and show what's happening in the sport, but also tell a whole different story, is amazing. A lot of the time, they don't show us the end result. As far as like scores go, we just see the characters' reactions to the scores afterwards. And I think that's a really cool storytelling technique that shows us the effects of the game rather than just saying, okay, well, they lost 11 to 10 or 12 to 10, 12 to 11. It's just we see Billy throw a chair out his office or we see him pumping his fist in the workout room. We, we see these visceral reactions to the team succeeding or failing rather than scores and i I think that's a unique take as well among other unique takes in the film yeah because the one thing that they do show they don't show the scores but they do show the standings Mm -hmm. and that's ultimately what they're kind of getting down to it's like it doesn't really matter what is going on in the score a win is a win a loss is a loss that's how baseball is played right and they promise uh, earlier in the film after they've started this whole ball rolling and things are going well at first they promise by mid july we hope to be within 7 wins of first place and so that is really what they're focusing on is the the record the standings and in that way it, it pays off for sure and i think again the the reason why this movie is so dynamic or so 
I guess dynamic and also just uh, very applicable to the re- recent, like kind of the recent sport is that this is changed. This this is actually a true story. Like this is an actual story about a team that's now changed the mindset of how baseball is played today. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that like the the statement of saying a win is a win, a loss is a loss. Me being a, like a listener to sports radio, a lot of people are saying that now. Like they're saying, I don't care what the score is. Uh, after that game, if we won and it was an ugly win, we still won that game. Mm-hmm. Like just hearing that and relating it back to this kind of movie, how they kind of had that language. They had that sports language saying, okay, we, we win. That's good. That's a win. Doesn't matter if it was ugly. Cause we had their, in, even in the movie, they showed an ugly win mm-hmm. uh, whenever that they were during that streak. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they won, they won. And that was the thing that, they, that they remembered. Right. It's like, that's the thing that, that this movie like focused on. And a lot of sports teams have that kind of mantra. Uh, now is like, hey, if we win, if it's ugly, if it's not ugly, we'd still win. Well, in the closing titles of the film before the credits roll, we see that the Red Sox won the World Series two years later based on the techniques that they developed and championed in this film. So it really is cool to see how, yes, it's a true story. And yes, it has changed the game, at least the, the background and the foundation of building a team to play the game. Any other story stuff? Uh, I mean, also, I mean, the one thing that we, I guess we haven't really touched yet is also it, the thing that they, it's, it's a, it'll go scene to scene and hit the flashbacks of Billy's childhood, because that's also, I think that's a big impact on why he was disconnected at first in the beginning of the movie. Uh, cause it showed him as a young high school prospect and he was basically almost probably top in the nation and people, a lot of teams are approaching him saying, Oh, your son, he's going to make it. He's going to do great things. And they kind of fed him these false kind of identities of him going to be this major league all-star player and talked him out of going to college, talked him out of basically progressing, getting a degree, but also getting better at baseball in college because they just wanted to use him right now for their organization. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a big impact on him and how he acted in the beginning of the film, how he treated his team and throughout the movie until he kind of later in the movie, he kind of fixes his mindset on what he wants to do. But just the impact as he, of, of scouts as a child just messed up his whole mindset of the game. It's, it's really his fuel on the fire. Uh, the, the flashbacks are pretty non-traditional as well because it's not like, oh, let's transition into a, a flashback moment. In fact, there's one flashback that is completely integrated with the, in, uh, the events happening right now. They're, play, they're showing a play-by-play of the game, and we're seeing glimpses of Billy's past as a baseball player at the same time and how those times parallel each other and how the one influences the other, which I think is really cool. I think that, and we can use this to sort of transition into character talk for Billy himself, but he is, we're slowly building what we know about him as a character. The, the first time we see him, as I said, he's sitting alone in a stadium somewhere, occasionally checking in on the game, but not watching it, not really paying it constant attention. And you wonder why he, he's upset clearly uh, because they lose. You wonder maybe he's superstitious. He doesn't want to jinx things. And over the time, as we learn more of his backstory, we learn that he was bought to pursue his dreams or what he thought was his dreams at the time at a price that was that that was more than he was really worth as his performance showed um he asks peter partially into the film says would you have put me in the first draft like he was and peter says well no i would have put you in the ninth draft and you wouldn't have gotten any sort of signing bonus Mm -hmm. and he says yeah (laughs) because pete also points out yeah you probably would have passed on it and you would have gone to college instead and billy says yeah so he's clearly a man who has regrets and who is using those past regrets to to radicalize the system to sort of rebel against the system because the system is really what screwed him over yeah for sure and that's kind of whenever whenever his team kind of falls apart and he kind of sees it falling apart he knows he wants to kind of rock the system and he wants to rock the boat in the wrong way, which is why you see him whenever he's in the scouting room, he wants to pull like he wants to pull teeth. He wants to make make things uncomfortable in there because the people he just knows that the people in there are doing everything wrong. They mm-hmm. have the wrong mindset. And they, but he also just kind of has a vendetta against kind of scouting a little bit because the way that they talk is the way is the reason why he is the way he is. 
Mm -hmm. He's so sort of deadpan disingenuous in his meetings with people. He puts on like this really fake smile where he's just showing his teeth, but there's really no meaning behind it. And he talks about, yeah, the the guys played well, didn't they? And, oh, we're going to do better next year. But really... No, we're not going to do better next year because they have money and we don't. Mm. And so that's the problem he's really trying to fix. And he's honest with the owner regarding the constraints. And he says, you know, with these constraints, these are the results you're going to get year after year after year. And when he's in the pitch room, the, 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 the scouting room with those older guys, they're exactly that. They're older guys. And I don't know about you, but all the older guys I know are set in their ways and traditionalists and they're not going to change for anything and he's so frustrated with them because they're just saying words they're oh nice swing ball pops off the bat he's got a nice face his girlfriend's a six though what does that say about him it's a lot of crap is what it says Mm -hmm. and in that later scene when pete is introduced the second scouting scene there's even a guy doing math on paper rather than using a calculator i'm like calculator i'm like how old school can you get (laughs) oh uh yeah you have to carry the one but you could also just use a calculator because it's 2002 and we have that technology right um so these guys are really set in their ways and you're right billy is there to pull teeth and to really sort of put friendships aside he's more focused on the wins like we said he he wants the wins he wants the championship he's not there for friendships and that sort of is his downfall for the first half or so of the movie and he does learn to amend his ways for sure and uh i think what what the way that his mindset kind of starts changing is obviously whenever he first meets peter and uh because without peter he really had no solution to his problem like he didn't, he didn't, he had no clue how he's going to replace three all-star players that are leaving his team. And he had no, his scouting team wasn't going to, wasn't giving him any help. So he was just like, I must, cause he was just like, I got to do this myself. So that's why when he started visiting different teams saying, all right, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? And luckily he ran to Peter who gave him that idea of what, well, why, what do I need to do? What mathematics are you talking about? Because he, Peter introduced this kind of economics with this baseball idea. And uh, <clears throat> that kind of started the we started kind of started the gears. And he started turning in his head saying, okay, what if, what if, what if he has, what does mean something? What if, what if all the stuff he's saying actually works? Like, mm-hmm. will that actually transform my team? And that's whenever everything started to kind of work for him. Mm-hmm. That's when the team started to change. He started to do things that obviously, again, pulling teeth, nobody wanted it except for him and Peter, and everyone was talking against it, but he was just so bold true, and he saw the vision that no one else saw, but he kept going for it, kept going for it, kept going for it. Mm-hmm. The, the big question he asks in this movie is, <laughs> what if? And he goes at it gung-ho, full speed ahead. Um, but at the same time, all this baseball stuff is happening, he is also not really talking about his family very much or spending time with his family very much. In fact, there's no mention of his family until we meet uh, Hatterberg, played by Chris, Chris Pratt. And he says, uh, you got a daughter? Because his daughter walked in the room and he says, oh, yeah, uh, I got a daughter too, whatever. And it, it's just mentioned in passing. And then we get introduced to the family and we see he's estranged from his wife. Well, more than estranged, he's divorced and she's remarried Mm -hmm. and they're making parenting decisions without him. So he's not really involved with his daughter in the way he should be as a father. And he does get a chance later in the movie to spend time with his daughter. And she sings a song that I think motivates him in some ways is a parallel to his life in some ways. Um, But I think the implication here is that he's a guy who has taken his work and put it as a priority over his family. And so I think that has some implications at the end of the film that I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, what did you what did you think of his family and his family situation? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with kind of what you're saying that he the whole basically the whole first half movie. You don't really know anything about the family. And that's because he put he's put his work first. And I think that's probably if I was to guess, that might be the reason why he's divorced. Mm-hmm. Is because he put his work first. He was so eng- engaged with uh, baseball that he probably didn't spend enough time with family, which probably frustrated his family itself. So I think that might have been the root of the problem right there. Um, 
or or maybe another side of that too this just occurred to me was maybe it wasn't that he was so focused on his work maybe it was because of his history of failure with his work both with baseball as a profession and then later as a general manager if he was bringing his frustrations with failure home and it just made it a rough home life after all because we see there's not there there's no apparent ill will between his ex-wife and him mm. in fact later in the film when they're on this streak uh his wife calls and congratulates him and says good work i'm basically i'm proud of you yeah. and so it makes me wonder if they have this history of butting heads because he was coming home in bad moods because things weren't going well and now things are going well and it's paid off, quote unquote, because his ex-wife congratulates him for it. Yeah. That, that's just a, another thought I just had. I don't know how much merit it actually has. Right. Yeah. We we won't really we don't really know the answer to that. It's kind mm-hmm. of this theory, but you can kind of put up up in the air, and both both make sense. I mean, they both can happen either way. But uh, either way, we know that there's problems there. But uh, like you said, that we don't know anything about the daughter until uh, Hatterberg uh, asks a question. Then obviously we see moments with the daughter. We see that there's not really a bad relationship with the do- his daughter at all. It's just probably just the time's not there. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you see uh, the daughter doesn't have a problem with her dad. Like, they have a good relationship. They talk to each other. They have moments that are really deep and really uh, kind of tearjerkers a little bit at times. But uh, obviously, again, work was, is a big factor. He's always <clears throat> on the, he's always traveling. He's always at the stadium. He's always doing something. So that he can try to fix his team. That's mm-hmm. like his number one thing. I need to fix my team. And that's, again, just taking away from his time with his family. Yeah, in the times they're together, I believe that it's a loving father-daughter relationship. Uh, uh, the scene in the, in the guitar shop comes to mind where uh, he convinces her to sing. And at the end of it, he, he puts his hand on his mouth and says, wow, that was so good. He's so proud of her. Um, but I think the, the estrangement in a way, from his daughter and the the not spending as much time is an indicator of a bigger problem that we see with him, which is he doesn't know how to talk with people and to to communicate with people properly. And so, again, once they get the ball rolling on this, things don't go so well because he's not communicating with people. He's talking with Peter, but from aside from that, they're just making trades and they're hiring people who are unpopular choices, and the uh, coach Art Howe doesn't want to play the people he's hiring because he doesn't think they're worth their salt. And so all this lack of communication, and he's trying to avoid the players because he doesn't want to mingle with them in case he has to trade them. All of these are okay in theory, but that's not a way to get an idea off the ground. It's a collaborative process. And he isn't the coach. I mean, Art Howe has a point. He, his job is to feel the players that he has in the best way he knows how. And so Billy not communicating through this process really sort of cripples them in the first month of the season until everything starts to pick up and go well because he's given Art no other choice. But at that point is when he starts to communicate with other players. Yeah, and, and you can kind of see the struggle between Billy and Art throughout the movie because the first uh scene with art is whenever he's talking about contract negotiation he said hey i just want you to let you know i'm on my last year i don't feel good being on my last year a one-year contract right now i'm as a coach i mean as a coach i'm just like a player like mm-hmm. i'm if i was a player on my last year i want to get re- renegotiated because i want to make sure that i'm safe in this team and billy's just like kind of throws it off like he's like oh, don't worry about it i have to worry about my the players first then i can worry about you which again like that kind of sets off the coach on a bad start for the year because he wants, he, I mean, obviously if he's coming in saying, hey, I want, I want to renegotiate, he's invested in the team. He wants to stay there. But Billy just, again, the communication is not there. The relationship's not there, uh, which causes that kind of the start of the season not to go on the right foot. There's no trust between Billy and Art because Art's trying to work with him. But Billy's like, no, I can't deal with you right now. I got to focus on my problem right here. You're, and, not my, you're not my issue. And even then, Billy's not blowing off Art's contract negotiation to worry about the people in a way he is, but he's worried about the wins. And it's later in the film when he starts visiting the locker room and working with Peter to come up with statistics that are going to help the guys make decisions that get them on base more. Uh, That's the whole goal in the end. So it makes sense for him to talk with the players and to give them ideas, even though he's still sort of overstepping art, I think. Uh, 
having that relationship with people is what leads them on that 20 win streak eventually is communicating and making this a group effort rather than again, him just hiring people and hoping for the best. And yeah, that's a huge stride because obviously he's been doing that GM work for years now. And as in, obviously if he's been doing that, avoid people at the beginning of the year, that's what he's been doing ever since he became a GM. He's Mm -hmm. been avoiding people, not building relationships, not communicating, doing his own thing. And obviously that wasn't working at all. And whenever he actually was invested in his players, invested in the team that he's been GMing for for years, there was an immediate change because now he's impacting the people. Now he's building relationships. Now he's giving advice. Now he's actually part of the team instead of just managing the team. Mm -hmm. And that does make things harder for him in one or two instances, specifically the moment after they have acquired Rincon and he has to let go the other player. that other player says, you know, I know I've had a rough first half of the season, but I feel good about this second half. And uh, Billy says, you know, unfortunately, we had to let you go. We didn't trade you. You're just you're done. Uh, that's tough. But the fact that it hurts means there was a meaningful relationship there. And I think that's the highlight more than anything. And he is just doing his job. Uh, and he's apologetic. He cares about this guy and doesn't want to see him go. But that's a sign of growth in Billy's character. Yeah, a lot of development you see just from part part one of the movie to the very end is just how the part being in the movie, he's like, I don't do that because I just want to cut them. No, no, I want to have any connections to say, hey, you're gone. That's it. And that's mm-hmm. whenever you're just teaching Peter how to cut players. You're just saying, you come in, you say, hey, you're gone. Here's your information that you need to contact. You're, all right, see ya. Mm-hmm. But now it, you see, now that obviously he, he, cha- he changed that himself whenever he had to do that uh, to uh, the I'm not sure if it was a pitcher, but just that player mm-hmm. or his team. He sat down and said, I'm sorry. I mean, this, this is how, how it happens. We have to let you go. Like, he, mm-hmm. And that was a whole different transition of how he communicated it. He actually had emotion into it. Like, it was a huge, it's just a complete 180 from where he was. And that's just a huge character development throughout just the season. Mm-hmm. It was apologetic. It wasn't clinical like he started off. Uh, speaking of Peter... I love how sort of gun shy he is at the start of the film when uh, Billy approaches him in the office of the the Red Sox. Yes. Yeah. No. Well, no, it wasn't Red Sox. It was. Uh, I cannot remember the team. Cleveland uh, Indians. Detroit. No, was it Detroit? Yeah. It was Detroit. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was Detroit. Uh, you can correct me on that, listeners, if you if you so desire, but. He, he poaches, basically, Peter from Detroit. But before he does, he approaches him in the office and says, hey, what happened in there? Who are you? I don't care about your name. Who are you? Why do these people listen to you? What do you have that's special about you that leads people to listen when you talk and to trust your decisions? And the whole time, Peter's like a deer in the headlights, staring wide-eyed, doesn't really know what Billy wants from him. But... He he goes along with it, and they build a close relationship, and he is sort of outside baseball this whole time. He's a guy from economics who found a career in baseball and has radical new ideas, especially compared to the guys who've been in baseball all their lives. And uh, I think this movie speaks uh, volumes about how sometimes you do need that outside voice, uh, that outside perspective to come in and, excuse me, change things around. Yeah, the fr- I think honestly the f- his fr- his first uh communication with Peter, he obviously I thought I think he was kind of butthurt a little bit about the deal. So he just kind of he was kind of like, "Who are you? What the what the heck just happened?" <laughs> and then I think whenever he had that conversation with him about what way he thinks, he was like, "Okay, this guy dude's a little different." And I think the like the the first good feeling he had with Peter was when he called him and said, "Would you have taken me in the first round?" Like, just be real with me based off of what you do. Would you have taken me? He said, no, I would have taken you in the ninth. And he said, all right. And then he, then he was like, all right, you're, you're coming with me. You're hired. Like, mm-hmm. you're, I'm taking you. Like, that is done. Yeah, he wants a guy who's going to be straightforward and honest with him, not one of these uh, these scouts who sort of talking BS all the time. Oh, nice swing, nice face, blah, blah, blah. Stuff that doesn't matter. Um, but we see from Peter that he's overzealous he's eager and i like that about him he's supposed he, he was asked to bring in what four player three, um, three players yeah three evaluations and he says i brought in 47 
I mean, 51. I don't know why I lied just now. <laughs> and it, 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 he he's eager. He's doing all this background work. We don't even see a fraction of all the work he's doing. But as we go through the film and Billy and Peter start communicating with the players and start giving them their ideas, Peter has all these detailed statistics about you when you swing at balls that come in this area of the strike zone, you're your average drops by 150. When you swing in this part of the strike zone, you're a lot more successful. And all these kinds of things that people, I think, don't pay as much attention to, he's doing the background work on, putting it into a computer and doing his very best as somebody who isn't as familiar with baseball to help these people out. And I really admire that about his character, how eager he is to help. Yeah. And uh, the thing I like about Whenever he was first introducing his idea that he got from the book that uh, I forgot who who the author was for that, basically the math behind baseball book. Uh, But uh, the thing that I liked about it is he was just he was just explaining that, I mean, there are big players, they get paid a lot, but there's the value is in the players that are getting undervalued. The value is the players that people overlooking, but they get almost the same exact results as those big players are getting monster contracts. He said they're there's being overlooked because they're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So he he was kind of introducing uh Rabbi went blank. Introducing Billy. I don't know why I just blanked on Billy's name. <laughs> uh he was introducing Billy to kind of this new mindset because Billy obviously was probably in the same mindset as all the other managers. I need someone big. I need to replace these big names. How am I gonna do it with this little budget? I don't know. And then the answer Peter gave don't focus on big names, focus on Here's, here's some undervalued players that could probably get you almost the exact same results. Mm-hmm. And I think that notion from Peter also says a little bit about himself as well. Being an economics major in the world of baseball, just because you're different than everybody else doesn't mean you don't have something valuable to bring to the table. And so despite the fact that he doesn't have a career history in baseball or family history in baseball, doesn't mean his opinions aren't valuable. Uh, So there's sort of a little bit of double meaning there. Um, But he does become a little bit more accustomed to the world of baseball through Billy. He helps him to approach players, whether it's to fire them or just to talk to them. And uh, uh, whether it's to, to mingle with them or to talk to them or to fire them, unfortunately, sometimes he gets him involved in the social aspects of baseball, so he's not completely behind the scenes. Yeah, and he and, you, and he also makes sure everyone knows who Peter is. Uh, mm-hmm. He brings them into the scouting meetings, and scouts are like, "Does he need to be here?" He's like, "Yeah, he does." And then he had Peter like talk about what are we looking for on base percentage? What are we looking for uh, like on base percentage? Like he mm-hmm. like kept pointing at him. He's like, "Whenever I point to you, you're talking." <laughs> uh, and it, it, the scouts just again, they saw this new kid. They're seeing what uh, Billy's doing. There's like, why? Like they're, he's changing everything. And these guys, like you said, they're old guys setting their ways. They just want everything to be the same. So whenever they bring a new guy in, that's not part of their little posse, then they're upset. They're like, who is this guy? This guy doesn't know anything. Uh, and then obviously same thing with art. When our art's like, who does this guy need to be here? Like what's, what's, what's happening? Who is he? And he's like, that's my assistant GM. Like he's just bringing him around. So everyone sees who he is. So they understand that he is just as, he, he reports to me. Everything that happens, he's telling me. Mm-hmm. And Billy does also teach um, Peter that you don't have to explain yourself. Uh, be confident in who you are. Be confident in your ideas and opinions and let other people figure it out on their own. Or don't, don't let them question you and make you doubt yourself, basically. Uh, so I like that he learns that as well. Now, we have other characters like Art the coach and Grady, who is the head t- uh, talent scout. And both of them are sort of representative of those older people who are in that old school of thought. And I, I get it. Like, I-, I understand them. I mean, I'm a man of tradition. I'm a creature of habit. And, you know, I go to the same restaurants and I order the same food and I do all that, s- that stuff. I-, I get it. But he ends up being wrong. They end up being wrong. Mm. But they also end up being a little bit right. And I think the, it's, it's the mixing of taking the statistics and taking the art of knowing people 
and that sort of intuition that does come naturally with people who've been in baseball for a while and marriaging the two so that you have uh, smart statistics, smart pay combined with relationships with players. And so that's where I think the older guys do get it right, but you have to compromise. You have to allow that change. And Art, we never really get any sort of apology from him once they go on a 20-win streak, thanks to what Billy's doing. Uh, But I'd like to think that he sort of is a little bit more open to this notion because they did go on a a 20-win streak. So I I don't know what the outcome of that was in history, but uh, I I think it's important to point out that both sides had right and wrongs. Right, and I think that the good thing that you kind of see with Art is that he started to well, he was kind of forced forced to trust the process that Billy wanted because obviously Billy took the players he was using away. But then you also see the big scene where the, with the twentieth win and that streak, where that ninth inning, that first at bat, he says Hattenberg go in, and that obviously that that was whenever he was like, okay, I, something's happening here. I can see I can kind of see a a bigger picture here, and then he kind of trusts what Billy's been trying to do since day one: start Hattenberg, start Hattenberg, start Hattenberg. And so he puts Hatterberg in for the first at bat, and obviously home run. They won that game, mm-hmm. and so and obviously and one thing that what was happening throughout the whole win streak is you'd always the one thing I also like about the the book uh, not the book the movie uh, is that through random scenes you'd hear radio like radio shows like over the scenes, mm-hmm. and they'd be talking about like during the win streak they'd say oh. Art Briles is doing such a great job with this team. Art Howe. Or Art Howe, I'm sorry. I don't know why it's Art Briles. Where, Baylor coach. That's football. why. Okay, I, I was like, or ex-coach, Art Briles is a person, yeah. He's the Baylor coach. He's no longer the Baylor coach. He's fired. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah stupid sports show. I got that stuck in my head. All right, uh, Art Howe, right? Yeah. Art Howe, okay. Art Howe, like he's, they're praising him, praising him, saying, oh, he's doing such a great job with this team. But before all the streak was happening, the first thing that all the radio shows are saying is saying, man, it's not our, not our house fault. It's all the GN's fault. It's all the GN's fault. So whenever everything was bad, it was Billy's fault. When everything was good, man, Art's doing a great job with that team. Like, mm-hmm. it's just insane how, like, the public eye was seeing it. And I'm sure that's probably, that those, probably, those uh, radio shows probably pretty realistic to what they were being said during that time, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's just the the benefit of being a figurehead, I suppose. The the coach is the one in the dugout every game, the one on the cameras. Uh, but I, I like your point that in that 20th win, Art does finally put Hatterberg in on his own volition and says, you know, maybe there is something to do with this. Maybe there is uh, a benefit to this. Let's take a chance. And so I think even though there wasn't an apology, there wasn't sort of a redemption or uh, resolve in between Billy and Art, there was a little bit of that emotional payoff when Art. we finally see Art give into the system and put Hatterberg out, and it pays off for him. For sure. And again, that's just, I think that was kind of, it wasn't really an apology really to Billy, but I think in a way Art was saying, I understand, I'm supporting you now. Mm-hmm. I get it. I get it, yeah. And so he kind of bought in to, to the process, I guess. I'm just going to say process, because that's, that's like the Jason Garrett Cowboys trust the process trust the process <laughs> but uh yeah he he was like I support the process now I kind of understand I'm seeing something special here and I think Art was kind of the bridge to he was he's kind of the person that was already personable but now he's trusting the process so it's kind of made a more holistic coach in him mm-hmm. now are there any other characters that you wanted to talk about I just want to talk about the fun the funny thing that Ron Washington was represented oh, yeah. <laughs> at because I I mean when that movie first came out I had no clue who who that was representing and because I whenever I was watching I just did, like whenever they said Wash or they would call on him I it was one one year out the other mm-hmm. it took I think it took me like multiple three or four times to watch it then be like oh gosh that's Ron Washington right and that was like that was after he had been the coach for the Rangers when I first realized that mm-hmm. so I got I, I already knew who Ron Washington was but after I watched him I was like oh Ron Washington hello. He's been right in front of my eyes the whole time because I had no idea that Ron Washington was part of the athletics program during that time. Yeah. Which is just funny because he was Rangers coach. Yeah. And he, he does have that, that one memorable scene where they go to Hatterberg's house and uh, he, uh, Billy is asking Hatterberg, hey, we want you to play first base. And uh, it's not that hard. Tell him, Wash. <laughs> it's, like, it's incredibly hard. hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, he, he does that at that phony moment. I like that character. I like. Chris Pratt as Scott Hatterberg. Uh, 
I think you were surprised to remember at least that Chris Pratt was in this movie. If you, I think honestly t- tonight was probably the first time I'd actually realized it because the other times before that was before really any of his bigger movies came out. This mm-hmm. was kind of a small role that he was in probably during the same time he was, might have been doing Parks and Rec. Possibly. What not, it looks like because he's thinner here. He's, um, he was in Parks and Rec and he was a little bit chunkier then, right? Yeah. And then when he got ready for Guardians of the Galaxy, that movie came out in 2000... 14. So it was still a couple of years before that, but it was before his big Hollywood breakthrough. So it, it's interesting to see a non-comedic Chris Pratt role. And uh, I, I like his character because he's sort of a down on his luck kind of guy. He's having struggles in his career and has had this arm injury. And the first time we see him, he's sitting at home in his recliner around Christmas or on Christmas for all we know. And his wife is sort of in the background paying bills on the kitchen table they're struggling is what they're trying to communicate visually and then we learn he has a daughter so this is his big break to sort of what it looks like turn his life around and so seeing this guy get a chance to sort of prove himself and to try something new uh, i think is something really valuable that billy and peter brought to the table was giving a few people not just scott hatterberg but a few people the chance to sort of bring their lives back yeah and same thing with i think it was the, the pitcher's name was chad bradford yeah chad bradford and then there was david justice who yeah. was an older baseball star who had sort of run out of juice in yeah, a lot of and, ways and each one of them kind of and what i like about how each each of the three that they highlighted with with those three is each one of them had a different thing that made them unpleasant to the eye for the t- other teams mm-hmm. chad was he threw very very awkward which a lot of teams just didn't like the visual of seeing him throw almost hitting his hand on the ground when he threw a pitch, which is just crazy to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ju- David Justice, obviously, is just he's old. And mm-hmm. a lot of teams, that's, I mean, that's the, the nature of sports. When you get old, teams don't value you as much because they don't think you have enough juice left. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then for uh, Scott, his elbow. He, right. he, he, fra- he messed up his elbow, which again, I think that highlights a lot of the parts of sports that people always analyze. He's injury prone. He's old. He just doesn't have a, a style that matches our style. Yeah, he's not visually appealing. Yeah, he's, he doesn't match our team's style. So each one of them highlight a different thing that teams overlook a lot of the times. But then obviously when they brought him in, they highlighted what they do specifically and they encouraged it. Mm-hmm. Like they say, you know what? You may not be the be- you might be able be able to throw. You'll play first base. You might not. You're not gonna be the best first baseman, but the reason I want you is because you can. You'll, you'll be able to help our team. Mm-hmm. Like David Justice, he said, "You know what? You're old, but I want. You, I want the reason I got you is I want the old you. I want your wisdom. I want you to be able to lead lead, lead this team, and I still want you to play baseball." And then obviously for Chad, he's like, he told him like, "Just pitch. Mm-hmm. Do what you're supposed to do. I don't care. You throw weird. You're gonna do what you're gonna do, and you're gonna get results." Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They highlighted what they do best, and they did it. Yeah, everybody has something to bring to the table. Same with Peter, same with Billy trying something new. Uh, that That's one of the core messages of the film, I think, is that everybody has some value. Uh, going on, let's go ahead and go to music. Um, so the score by Michael Dana is an interesting one. Did you pay attention to it much while we were watching earlier? Very minimal, because a lot of the times you could hardly even notice it. Mm-hmm. A lot, the only really main times I noticed it was during a lot of transition scenes. Uh, where it would either be or a lot of the quieter scenes where there would mm-hmm. be nothing really going on except for maybe a heavy bass kind of to show action or maybe there's a kind of a light piano or a kind of synth sound to kind of just show just kind of a calm mm-hmm. scene happening where there's kind of going from office analyzing all the data and kind of doing things one-on-one. I mean, the music I obviously didn't really focus on a lot because there wasn't really, in my, to what I was trying to hear, there wasn't a whole lot to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and then obviously this, the music that his daughter sang was kind of like, I think the main kind of music part of the whole movie, which was a good, good song that fit in with, uh, what Billy was struggling with. Yeah. Uh, I've owned this score for a long time. I, I think I downloaded it pretty soon after seeing the movie. Um, but it is pretty minimal. There's not like a main theme to speak of as far as the actual score goes, but what I do like about it is that it does carry the the tension and it communicates anticipation and even when things are going well like during the montage that's showing the wind streak 
there's still a sense that things could go wrong at any moment. There's like, like an underlying anxiety, which I think is really well done. And my favorite moment or one of my favorite moments with the music is when they win that 20th game. And that's probably the most optimistic part of the score where it it makes you feel good. Yes, we were successful. Things went well for us. We made it to 20. But it also doesn't sound like an ultimate victory because it's not. The victory, or at least the end goal in Billy's eye, is to make it to the championships. Mm. And they still don't do it. Right. So not having this to be an all-out triumphant theme and like trumpets and horns are blaring, (laughs) there's none of that in this score. It's always very realistic with its expectations and in driving you to to think about what might be coming next so in that way it's cleverly written cleverly composed but you're right it is mostly out of the way yeah and they i mean and, and you can tell it's at, kind of out of the way because of the instrument choice that they use because i think there there's not really any heavy instruments used there's just strings that I've, i heard some strings mm-hmm. i heard a piano i heard some kind of synth sounds a little light synth sounds and i heard a lot of kind of low bass mm-hmm yeah, that's pretty much it. It's it's synthy. I think there might even be a little bit of like mild electric guitar, uh, but uh, a lot of strings for sure. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on the song? The song is called "The Show" and it's sung by his daughter. Um, and we learned a new word tonight, anachronistically, which means that the the song was composed by another artist in 2008, but it was sung in the film in 2002. So anachronistically means it took place outside of its time. Just a fun word for you listeners out there. Uh, word but, of the day. Yeah, word of the day. <laughs> Use but, it in a sentence. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that song? Uh, I really enjoyed it because uh, the mess. I think it tied in perfectly with the situation that Billy was in. Mm-hmm. I think the... Because it says, I'm just a little bit caught in the middle. Life uh, is a maze. Love, love is a riddle. Uh, so he was just talk- kind of talking about how Billy was kind of... There's different parts of the movie where Billy was caught in the middle of something. Uh, obviously, in, in the main part of the movie, kind of the main issue was he was caught in the middle of the old ways of baseball and this new mindset that he's trying to transition to. And he had to be either committed to one or the other. He couldn't be caught in the middle or else the team's going to f- struggle. And then when the, the song was introduced again, uh, where he actually listened to the full thing and had that CD, the thing he was caught in the middle of there was he was caught in the middle of staying with his team or moving on to the Boston Red Sox, where he could have a lot of success with a team that had a lot of budget. Plus, he could use the same thing he used in Oakland with that Boston Red Sox team. So the song really fit in exactly where he was at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was just a good message to to him as well because whenever he listened to the song it was it also helped him decide right he's like you know i can't be i can't be stuck in this forever i have to make my decision on what i believe is true what i need to stick to what i think is right for my family what i think is right for me uh because also those the song helped him kind of refocus everything refocus on his family on his team on what he wants to do himself what's his what is his goal so it was a good time place song for, for each scene that it was involved in mm-hmm. you highlighted a lot of my thoughts um i, I wrote it's, it's about not knowing the path away uh the second phrase of the song is uh lost in the moment i'm so scared but i can't show it uh something along those lines and so it's about being scared of what the future might bring but also about enjoying the ride along the way and so it does help him to refocus at the end on his team on his priorities on his family the fact that he's carrying around the cd by his daughter uh maybe shows that he's reconnecting with her a little bit more and trying to spend a little bit more time with her uh so i i like that the the song has sort of multiple meanings but really is a way for him to refocus on what's important to him and I also enjoyed the CD where she kept repeating, you're, you're so stupid, dad. You're so stupid, dad. Just <laughs> yeah. enjoy the show. Like, I think as funny as that is, I think she was just saying, just have fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't worry so much. Yeah. Because throughout the movie as well, just like kind of going back to the daughter, since we're still talk, we're not talking about her song, like she, she could read her dad's face mm-hmm. every time she, like someone was going on, whenever he thought he was basically going to get fired, he's like, are you okay? Like, I'm hearing that a lot of stuff on the radio. Like, oh, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Like, and she was just like, she like could know what's going on. So I think a lot of the time, whenever she made that CD and she said those things is because she knew that he was going through a lot of things, going through a lot of stress. He's just like, dad, you're stupid. Just 
Enjoy <laughs> what you're doing. Enjoy the moment. Have fun. Yeah, that fake face I mentioned earlier was uh, it worked on pretty much everybody except for his daughter who yeah. could read him like a book. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like I like the song. Now, relevance, takeaways, what do you got for us? I mean, we kind of touched a little bit on it, how uh, every person had a value in where they were supposed to be. Like, no matter what role you're in, obviously in this one, in the baseball team, you have value where you're at and you have a unique set of skills that should never be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone, everyone is different in the way that they're used, everyone, and that should not be a problem. And also just the fact that change is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, there in the movie, there the whole struggle was change. How can we? How are we going to change this? What? How do we? How is change going to affect our team? How's going to affect the ways that we're we're set up in? Like, and the fact that change is imminent, no matter where you are, whether it's sports, whether it's family, whether it's just any part of life, change is going to happen. You have to be get ready for it. You have to be used to it, and just be you. Don't change that part of it. Just do what you you know who you are don't be false to that and just do what you want to do to better yourself i agree and then there's also stuff like tradition versus risk you said change is inevitable uh, but you have to take risks in order to come to that change ultimately i think this movie is telling us that it is okay to take a chance on something and obviously we don't know what would have happened if they had stuck with a traditional recruiting system and i was wondering what your thoughts are does it Obviously, we have retrospect in our favor, but does it pay off by the end of the film? Like, do you think that this season looked at individually was a success? Um, and I, and that's always the movie highlighted that as well because one thing that Billy has said a lot was said if you don't win that last game, everyone's going to basically count it off as loss. And you hear it in the radio program yeah. there at the end too, where they say, obviously because they didn't win this, this was a, a flawed team, but despite the, the fact that they won more games and overall did better than the previous season. And the thing is that like, the thing is they say it on the talk show, but then when he goes to the Boston Red Sox GM, that GM praises him for that mm-hmm. and, and offers him the biggest paycheck a general manager ever has. So it's a, it's a lot. I think it's a lot on just perspective. Like mm-hmm. if you're from, obviously from our perspective when we watch the movie we see it as a success from billy's perspective he kind of sees it as a success and he also kind of sees it as a failure because again didn't win the what he wanted to win but at the same time he got further than i think anyone expected that team to go losing their three biggest prospects or three biggest players from last season Mm -hmm. but obviously the people on the talk show they're still dogging him because again there's those people that they want that win and if we don't win then our team is wrong our team Mm -hmm. is not doing what they're supposed to be doing so it's just, I think it's a lot of perspective. I think overall, yeah, they, they did something amazing mm-hmm. that no one expected that team to do. No one had any hopes for that team because they, again, lost their player. They, don't have, they still don't have more, any more money. They probably have less money mm-hmm. than they did before, and, but they did something amazing with it. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, even though in Billy's view, they didn't win the final games, and so it was a failure, uh, it's a step forward and now he knows an approach for the next season. And I don't know whether art house stayed another season or not, or whether there was another coach, but maybe if they did get another coach or even if they didn't, maybe art was bought into the system a little bit better this time around, especially if the Red Sox are going to adopt it too. And it went better and better and better for them. Uh, who knows, but it, it is a step in the right direction. Uh, we already talked about this theme and takeaway as well, but communication and making sure that you are talking with people and letting in people on what you're trying to do with your life, with your plans, whatever it might be, you don't have to go it alone. And when you go it alone, sometimes you're going to fail. You do need that teamwork aspect. It's more than just about the numbers for what Billy and Peter do here. And in that way, like I said earlier, Grady and Art and any of those other naysayers were right. Because if you purely play the numbers, Baseball isn't a number game. It's still a game that involves people and their individual talents working together. And so you have to have that marriage between the two and communicating to make that marriage happen uh, in the end. Exactly. And also one thing that I want to actually go back to whenever I was talking about, we talked about kind of opportunity and risk and everything. Uh, one of the scenes that also I really enjoy is it's near the end of the movie where Peter is actually showing Billy a video of a baseball player forgot the baseball player's name, but it's a, it's a bigger baseball player. And, uh, the baseball player is at bat 
he he's he basically is a baseball player that he's just known to get on base. He just consistently on base. He'll walk or he'll hit a single, but that's his that's that's what he's known for. He just gets on base. And that one time he's at bat, he swings it, hits the ball. He runs to first base like normal. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna go, try to go second base, do something different. Tries to do it, falls on his face, and you see him crawling back to first base. He's embarrassed. He's embarrassed, and he hit a home run. Mm-hmm. And I think and Peter's like, it's a metaphor. Like, hey, it's, it's a metaphor. And he's yeah. like, yeah, Billy's like, I know, I know. But uh, the, thing, the thing that's awesome about that video is kind of, the metaphor that he's kind of seeing is sometimes we're just so stuck in our ways that we for, don't see the opportunity that's right there that's already in front of us that we can grab. Like, that player hit a home run, so he, the opportunity of scoring is there. It's already there. But he was so just blinded by getting on base. That's why I always do. That's my usual thing. I just get on base. That's it. And in the same turn, our little mistakes can overshadow our bigger successes. Yeah. So uh, when he falls over and crawls back, he's ignorant to the fact that he scored a home run because it was an embarrassment. It was an embarrassing thing, but he still made a home run, whether he tripped and fell or not. So yeah, I I, I like that uh, point. Um, It's about more than money. It's about taking chances, about knowing and working with people, loyalty, perseverance, and more than a paycheck in the end, Billy turns down the $12.5 million so that he could stick with his team that he has dedicated all of these years and time to. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just like that. It, it's, it's about, to Billy at least, more than money. And in his approach to hiring new players, it's about more than money for them as well. It's about winning games and that's how you win a season that's how you win a championship is you win games yeah and the whole thing people were doubting him saying that nobody can reinvent this game but obviously throughout the whole story he proves that wrong he reinvents the game by bringing a whole new philosophy on how to build a team Mm -hmm. and sort of my closing thoughts uh, as far as takeaways go is how can you not be romantic about baseball? I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's all you have to say. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a personal game. We have favorite teams. We have favorite players. Uh, as guys who work in the field, Billy and the others, they make decisions fueled by winning, but also by their love of the game and the culture surrounding it. And he, Billy turns down that money because he, again, is loyal to his team and wants to just enjoy the show and finish what he started. And I think that has as much value as pursuing a bigger paycheck sometimes. It, it doesn't have to be, uh, well, as, as pursuing a paycheck sometimes. Yeah, he respects his game. He respects his team, respects everything that he started. And again, he just wants to finish. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Anything else? No, I think we hit it. I mean... It's hard to not be romantic about baseball. <laughs> I do want to say I really like Brad Pitt in this movie. I think it might be my favorite Brad Pitt role. I haven't seen like an excess of Brad Pitt movies because uh, most of his movies aren't sort of my fair. But I really like him in this one. He was nominated for Best Actor that year at the Academy Awards, and I think it was definitely deserving. Yeah, for sure. And again, I, I mean, honestly, they kind of hit home runs on a lot of the actors that I would never expect to be. These were like Jonah Hill. Oh, never, yeah. like, never would expect him to be Peter. Because mm-hmm. he, Jonah Hill was, is just known for those kind of weird, cheesy, kind of inappropriate movies at times. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he gets this role where it's a serious, still kind of funny movie. But I mean, it's just his character is nothing like his other characters he's been. Yeah, he's not a dope. No, he's not. <laughs> he's, a, he's a bright kid that just knows all the data and everything. Like That's so unlike any character that he'd played. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention that. And I think with that, that is the end of the official 72nd episode of Cinescope. Thanks for recording with me tonight, Seth. Of course. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Cinescope Podcast and at Cinescope Pod on Twitter. Please consider going over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts on your iOS device and rating, reviewing, and or subscribing. If you have feedback and ideas, email thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And again, you can always also use email or any of those other contacts to contact me about co-hosting. Again, I do have a list of people who've contacted me. I'm behind on reaching back out, but I will get in contact with people very soon. So don't hesitate. Email in if you want to be on the show and talk movies with me. Seth, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Seth02. So it's S-E-T-H, the letter O, number two. 
Uh, that's the best way you can probably follow me because that's probably the thing I'm most active. I'm not going to get my Snapchat out, obviously. That's just <laughs> no. weird. That's just weird. <laughs> uh, you, the best place for me is also on Twitter. That is uh, Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And there's also an American Workplace, my other podcast where my friend Katie and I talk about NBC's The Office. And you can find that where podcasts can be found and WorkplacePodcast.com. And show notes and information for this show can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you, Seth. Always a pleasure. Always. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 72. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 73. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.